This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Welcome to episode 55 of Power Athlete Radio. Bear with me, I freaking worked up to a one rep max power clean yesterday and smacked my trachea with a bar. <laughs> so talking is kind of challenging, but here we go, we got a great show. Jared Allen joins us on Power Athlete Radio today. What's happening, Jared? Uh, not much. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. And as always, we got the power athlete coaches, Luke, Tex, and John, and the champion himself, soon to be representing Atlanta in Vegas, Steve Playtech. What's happening, <laughs> Danny? Living, so living a dream. Playtech, how's that fundraising going? Uh, slowly. But I, I helped out a little bit today. Yeah, Tex helped out. Tex made of money. Whoa! I got a I got a local gym that decided that they were gonna post uh, some goofy picture, and then um, for every share and every like, they're gonna donate a dollar. Um, so that's cool. And then our nice. gym match it. I was thinking like maybe a calendar. Maybe we should do like a uh, like like the twelve months of play tech. <laughs> like Zoolander. Yeah, like, yeah, just, just yeah, just the same. <laughs> Picture just with like different colored T-shirts over and over again, and just label different looks. Being like, you know, the November look is the tigre, and then we have the, you know, the Jared <laughs> Allen. I mean, we could just post it and just the same picture. I mean, He's are, trying like, to make money, John. I don't think that'll work. Relax, relax. relax. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I love it. It's so good. John, that's a great idea. I, you know, hey, that's what I do. I just come up with great ideas. So we'll post that link in the show notes. But yeah. Playtex trying to get to Vegas for this last trial for the uh, National Pro Fitness, Fitness League and PFL. Yeah, right. It's like the NFL, but just smaller. And but you have to be more. <laughs> yeah, you just have to be uh, in better shape. <laughs> you know, like you could last more than a day of squatting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me they have a pro fitness league? Uh, Jared, let me explain. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I uh, <laughs> let's back this up. So, Jared, you're familiar with what CrossFit is, right? Uh, sort of, yes. Okay. So it's uh, people competing in exercise and yeah, workouts. Yeah, I've seen the uh, I've seen it on ESPN that, like the the six or something like that. ESPN six. Yocho. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's on the <laughs> ESPN the say. Uh, what is it? Uh, I think it was on Siete. I don't think it was on Ocho. <laughs> step up. But uh, this uh, the guy who used to be the head of uh, CrossFit Media. Ended up parting ways with CrossFit, and he started this thing called the National Pro Fitness League, which okay. is kind of takes an NFL style model, and they have uh, different cities with teams, and these teams uh, go and they compete against other teams in workouts. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and they have a uh, one of the competitors has to be over 40, and Playtech is over 40, and uh, a nice. doctor of psychology. Ah. So pretty sharp dude, and in pretty he's mind effing everybody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. He's going in there and just being like, 
Stare at the faux hawk. Yeah, uh, but the, the but the best part is Playtex like five ten, but he's got about a seven foot wingspan. So when he deadlifts, he only has to pull the bar like three inches off the ground. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so work to my village, John. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I know. I mean, like heavy deadlifts, he went in there, and they're like, "Oh, I got this." Yeah. Hey, tools so, and toolbox. All you need, tools and toolbox. <laughs> yeah. So Playtech is uh, went and competed at this uh, combine where they you know test the athletes and then he got invited to the you know the final combine which is kind of ironic seeing as that uh, in the NFL like there's only one combine and you got to do the stupid personals but like now they have multiple combines so he's got to go out to Vegas and he uh, put out a little fundraising link and anybody listening that wants to help send our uh, professor booty out to. Uh, Vegas, help him out, and Jared would appreciate this. The reason we call him Professional Bo- Professor Booty is because he's obviously a professor at school. And is it because you stare at girls' butts, or they stare at yours? Oh, they stare at yours. <laughs> I can't remember what it is, but it's something weird like that. But. Well, it probably, it probably doesn't help when you like teaching straight leotards and spandex. Oh yeah, he just have he you just, been to my class? He just wear he he rival Boomer Jared. I'm, I'm Jared. So like Playtech wears just like football pants. Cut into shorts. Hey, you know what? Hey, again, tools in the toolbox. <laughs> Speaking of which, dude, have you even heard from Boomer? You know what? I was just going to say, yeah, you know what? So now that I'm out in uh, Chicago, he um, he graced oh. our presence. He stopped by the house the other day. He's doing well. So you got to – I mean, people that don't know Boomer, but, um, you know, this is another reason why I believe in God because miracles do happen. He's uh, dating a girl steadily and um, – I don't believe you know, it. he's he's talking all sorts of nonsense and um, you know the, the good kind of nonsense and um, just uh, yeah, but he, you know he's still boomer, he's still jacked, uh, but no, he's he's settling, he's settling down, he's he's out in Bloomington, he's doing well, um, you know, so uh, he's 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 I think he's slowly but surely moving on. I guess he doesn't want to be the last one of his friends not married with some kids at some point. Yeah, he wants to be like the old dude at the club who's just like fucking gray hair, 50 years old. Whoa, whoa. You know that dude that we would see and we'd be like, really? Yeah, but it's, really? yeah, he was every man fears to, to become. Yeah, every every dude fears, like every NFL player, whenever we'd go out there, it'd always be like, you know, out obviously causing trouble. And you'd see like the 50-year-old dude with all the young chicks. You're like, oh, yeah, dude, it's really nice that they brought their father out today. Yeah, so yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah everybody's got to grow up, and uh, boom, boom's on his way. Now he seems to be doing good. He's still the guy that's like an absolute. I mean, I don't know, I don't get, it. I don't, I don't even know that he works out. He just like has muscles on top of muscles. Nah, you know what? He's like a closet worker outer. Because I remember when I was out in Arizona when you were uh, when he was staying at your house, and I stayed there. He would like uh, we were watching TV, and and during commercial break, he would jump on the evil wheel and bang out like Max yeah, Evil bro. Wheels. His, his during- just- yeah, during the commercial break. So, so I mean, we we watched TV for you know two hours, and I you know like we were sitting there drinking beers and I think doing tequila shots, um, you know, which is what you got to do when you watch TV. And uh, after getting fucked up, he just was kept doing like uh, um, the fucking evil wheels, and I was like, God damn it! So then I started doing them, and like you know, two hours into doing evil wheels, I'm like, Oh fuck! I can't even stand up. My fucking abs were so sore. I'm like, God damn you, boomer. He, so, his motto in life is like, or it was like, if I have trail mix and an ab wheel, I can go anywhere in the world. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I will travel. Now he is kind of creepy, like uh, super good at working out because like when we went on that uh, safari in Africa, you know, for a month straight, all we did was like body weights, plyometric stuff, 
uh, ate relatively, you know, good. And, dude, that was, like, the most jacked I got in, like, a month of just shredding. I mean, I came back shredded, and you probably dropped, like, 15, 20 pounds and all of it, like, doing hotel-style workouts. Yeah, he's kind of, like, sneaky knows how to get every good workout out of you. Yeah, no, Boomer's in, dude, Boomer's in phenomenal shape, man. I mean, he, he came in one of our seminars a couple years ago, and I was trying to sucker him in to come out and work with us, and uh, he didn't want to do it. And then we had a seminar out in his hometown, and at the last minute, he fucking bolted out of town because I think he was nervous to see me. He was afraid I was going to fucking go old school and fucking berate him. I don't know if you guys have known this, but uh, we tend to be a little harsh on each other. I mean, you know, now that you, you guys really know the kinder and gentler John Wellborn, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we used to be kind of a little aggressive back in the day. Wouldn't you agree, you know, Some guys, you know, they express their love. You know, the tougher you are on people and uh, that kind of stuff, the more you like them, right? <laughs> It's like third, it's like third grade relationships. If you hit the girl in the face with the backpack, you have a huge crush on her. Yeah. No, it wasn't like that. We just generally didn't like people. <laughs> uh, well, uh, little known nice fact, uh, nice little, we just hated each other. <laughs> little known fact, uh, Jared and I were roommates for over a year, so uh, Jared and I actually know each other pretty well. Um, I think that was actually. Uh, um, you know, an interesting part in our lives, seeing as that uh, we rented an apartment in a retired old folks' home. Well, yeah, okay, let's 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 back it up and, and explain really how this happened. So it was both of our last years in Kansas City. We both sold our houses. I get a call from John. I don't know if it was a call. It might have been a text. I don't know, well, text messaging might not have been even going on back then. I feel well, like it's cool. Yeah, yeah, we uh, paged him. Uh, smoke screens. Yes. So I get a call from Wellborn saying, hey, dude, I found us an apartment. And I'm like, Really? Like how? We just we both just literally a week ago decided to uh, on the airplane. Wow! He's like, oh, I sat next to some dude on the airplane. He said like his mother died and we could have an apartment. And uh, I'm like, what? He's like, it's right down the plaza. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. So we show up down there and literally it was a retirement home, and <laughs> there was like 24-hour nursing staffs on some floors. I think we had the. Uh, we had like the pool cord in the shower. Like if you slipped and fell, you pulled the cord and the ambulance shows up. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was and we remember the dude across the hall. We had some yeah. dude across the hall, which we never saw. We just see his nurse come in. But you would walk down the hall and you would feel the eyeglasses follow you, like his his peepholes. Yeah, the peephole would actually rotate, like it had like a hundred and eighty degree view. <laughs> so all of a sudden you come out of the the elevator and the peephole would like shoot at you and you go walking by and it'd be like <laughs> Like yeah, like straight up Scooby Doo, and uh, we'd like walk by and like holy shit. So then it became like this whole thing of like how you could sneak to your place without the peephole following you. So you like get off the air, you get off and like kind of like shimmy slide like fucking down the hallway, and, like, crawl underneath them, and the dude's like fucking looking for you all crazy ass. It was uh. Um, and so and what Welburn didn't tell me when we did this is that he was providing no furniture to the place. And that he had sold his house with all of his furniture in it and sold his furniture. And uh, I think Boomer ended up buying all your furniture. Yeah, no, I actually, uh, he, I think he bought it, and I think I, I, I think he bought one piece, and I gave him the rest of it. Oh, uh, and then, um, so we load up, and then one day I come in, we, you know, I put my couch in the bed, and I was like, hey, I need a bed. I'm like, all right, I got another bed you can have. And I walk in there one day, and there's a giant bubble. Like, his room is like Bubble Boy. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess how big of a meat stick he was. And uh, he had some knee problems, and so he 
done his research like only John can do research. And no, 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 no. It wasn't an ego problem. The hyperbaric chamber was the way. What it was is it was an altitude chamber. So I used to sleep at like Mount Everest Base Camp. And the idea was that by sleeping at altitude, I was going to jack up my red blood cell count so I didn't get tired. And where this came from was uh, a couple years before we played in Denver on, on the opening game. And like I got fucking smoked. And I remember being like, man, I got to fix this. So I called Inclodon, and I was like, Inky, I need some help. And he's like, no problem. So he sends me this fucking altitude chamber. And, uh, like, I literally was sleeping at, like, 17,000 feet. And so all of a sudden I would, like, get out, and I'd be, like, a million bucks be running around in circles. So uh, it was just a little weird to have your roommate, like, dude, is that a tent? I'm like, it looked like a big camping, like a clear plastic camping tent that I would sleep in. The problem is is that there was no ventilation in there, and so I had, like, five fans, and you would just lay in there, and obviously Kansas City's pretty warm. This place was kind of old. I mean, the air conditioning worked too good, and it was fucking oh. so hot in my bubble. I would just sit in there, and I'd be like, God damn it, I hope I'm getting better, but I don't fucking know. <laughs> but uh, the, the, only, the, the better part of this whole thing is, so Jared obviously had a big house. Now we're, like, living in, like, would you say it was probably a 1,500-square-foot apartment? Not even, dude. I was going to say probably less than 1,000. Yeah, maybe maybe 1,100. So so Jared has, like, a 90-inch TV that he brings in (laughs) and a couch, right? So we have this, like, massive fucking couch, a 90-inch TV, and then we have beds, and I got my bubble. And I think that was it. We had no, yeah, we had no dishes because I was, I was, <laughs> I had a cook that year, so we, we had, I had meals prepared because I was on a strict diet. You were just cavemaning it with hamburger and rice. We didn't have a fork with your hands. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty much what I ate. Uh, majority of the meal was hamburger and rice, and I think I had uh, fuck, I can't remember what my other meal was, but it was pretty. I think it was like some oats. So oh, yeah, I, yeah it was, it was well, pretty I, I led the league in sacks that year, and um, all that good stuff. We had fun too, so. Yeah, uh, every Friday I would always lift weights, and then Jared would um, go and usually buy something ridiculous. So I'd come home, and he'd be like, I got Guitar Hero! And he'd fucking play Guitar Hero. And then I'd be like, I got the fucking band! And we would just play stupid shit. So it was, uh, it was pretty it was pretty, it was pretty funny, dude. I mean, yeah. just the, the fact that like, we were in the retirement home. buying something ridiculous, it, it, it was probably at the bargain basement. It wasn't, like, anything cool. It was just ridiculous, like Nerf guns, water pistols. <laughs> Uh, we also had feet in pajamas. Remember that? Remember a feet oh. in pajamas? Oh, I gotta have footy pajamas, dude, with the trap doors. No, there's only yeah. one way to go with that. Yeah, dude, Jared's like, dude, I found this guy that'll make custom foot in pajamas. They're only like $200, so I got like five sets. I'm like, sounds like a great bargain, you know? I'm like, yeah, I'd be like, how much you want for fucking foot in pajamas? So I pay those, I buy those things for like $3 a piece at Carter's because my kids yeah, got too, uh, yeah, it was too, it was too cheap to, uh, to buy a new car, so I had an old, I had an old hunting Jeep. That didn't have it a top, and so I to wear like snow snowmobile gear driving to work every morning. Unless I could ride with John uh, in his Bronco, it was great. Yeah, I, and I had a top, and my Bronco actually uh, ended up taking a shit on me because a, a mouse crawled up in the motor and ate all my wires. It was so cold that the mouse crawled inside my my uh, in the engine and fucking ate all my wires. I came out and the car wouldn't start, and I was like, "What the fuck?" So I call the dude, he like tows it, and he's like, yeah, uh, some small rodent ate all your wires. So I was like, oh, boy. So what do we do? Uh, yeah, we ship the car home and rode with Jared, and we just would suffer in uh, like the middle of Kansas City winter with no top on his car, just riding in like hoodies and freezing. <laughs> you guys are all like millionaires. 
Yeah. You get all that money and you're just like, well, fuck it, I don't want to spend it. No, no. What happens is, is that initially is like kind of the deal. Like you get in and you fucking kind of go a little crazy, and then all the dudes around you go so fucking crazy that you actually end up going the opposite way. way. And yeah, like, you can see where they're heading, right? Well, no, it, it's just like uh, this silent protest. Like, yeah. oh, it's you're like, with... like Trey Thomas, uh, who I played next to in, in, in Kansas or in Philadelphia. He told me that. Um, so we had locker next to each other, and every day I'd come in, I'd like kind of like notice, you know, like after a while, you like notice a guy, you know, always is wearing like looks like brand new clothes. You know, and I fucking buy like what a couple pairs of jeans a year, wear t-shirts. I'm actually wearing the free Jared Allen t-shirt that he gave me a couple years ago. <laughs> and uh, like after all, you know, like this is kind of, you know, I, I'm just not gonna go out. Like it's not the thought of having to go buy clothes is more of a pain in the ass than actually fucking getting new clothes. So like I just don't want to have to go get them. And I noticed that I was like, God, you know what? It's been like two years that I've never seen Trey wear the same clothes twice. And then I started noticing, like, tags on his clothes. So finally I was like, yo, dude, what the fuck? Like, he, I'm like, what is this? He's like, oh, well, I tell my wife at the beginning of every month uh, to buy 30, like, Pele Pele warm-ups and, like, different warm-ups. He would wear, like, the, you know, Sean John Pele Pele warm-ups. He's like, I tell her to buy 30 of them, and I wear a new one every single day. I said when I made it to the NFL, I was never going to wear the same clothes twice. So he would wear the same uh or brand new, and then he'd go home that night, throw it in a bun, she would donate it or give it away or do whatever, and he would wear new ones for years. So upon seeing that, you're like, you know what, I'm going to wear the same clothes every single day. <laughs> oh, you're going to drive a $400,000 Bentley? Okay, with a driver, I'm going to drive a fucking hunting Jeep that I paid 50 bucks for. Yeah. Like, it, it just became this, um, like, almost like a silent protest in a lot of ways of, like, you know, to not be in the status quo because the status quo after a while is you're like, this is so fucked, dude. Like, like yeah, I just can't, I, I just can't live with this. Things. And so at least for me, it's like, if I'm going to splurge in one area, I'm going to have to save in another. And, uh, and so uh, my funny story, actually, my, 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 my financial guy is one of my best friends. And, uh, we have, we, my wife and I, we have a little small dog in, in our house in Minnesota. She, he could always get out or she could always get out through the, uh, through the fence. So I was, <laughs> I went to Home Depot and bought like, you know, that wire mesh chicken and wire. ties. And I spent hours like blistering my hands with wire cutters. What you're just wire meshing our entire backyard. So our dog couldn't get out. And, uh, <laughs> all my buddy is like, why, why wouldn't you have someone do that? You know, like you'll pay someone to mow your lawn, but you won't pay somebody to, to think that's like principles. Dude. You always got to keep, Hey, you got to keep yourself grounded. You can't be afraid of doing some hard work. And B, there's just certain things that I won't spend money on. There's certain things I will spend money on. There's certain things I won't. And uh, and that just happened to be one of them. And at that point, a new car was not on my uh, my to-do list. So we decided to suffer. Yeah. No, and, and it, was, it was even better. I mean, yeah. I You know, like we could have found an even better place. But I, I think the rent on that place was like, what, like a 1000 bucks. No, it was $700. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like $700. So the, the way that I found the place is I'm flying back to Kansas City for the start of the season, and I sit next to this guy, Gene, who is a insurance guy, and he's like, you know, big Chiefs backer, and I, I forgot what they call him. Like, uh, they have, like, this, like, kind of support organization for the Chiefs. And the guy sits next to me and goes, oh, my God, you're John Wellborn. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. And he goes, hey, my name's Gene. You know, I met you before. And he's, we start talking, and he's like, uh, you know, so where do you live? I'm like, I don't live anywhere. I was actually hoping to go find a place. And he's like, 
I ha I I own this uh you know condo that you know down in the plaza if you want to rent it for like seven hundred fifty bucks a month and I'm like sold. So you want to see it? I'm like no, we're good. I'm like I'll I'll call my roommate. He's like you have a roommate. He's a roommate. I'm like Jared Allen. He's like you and Jared Allen live together. I'm like well yeah we kind of have a symbiotic relationship like that. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great too because there was no lease, so when we left, we just packed our stuff on the left. Yeah, I just called the dude and was like, "Yeah, we're out tomorrow." He's like, "Uh, okay." And we just like, <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure I left with like, uh, after Jared took his stuff, I had, I think I wrapped up my bubble and I shipped it and left with like a duffel bag and that was it. I was like, "Goodbye, Kansas shitty." Yeah. That what was a. Uh, well, you know what? It's a better organization now. I mean, once they got rid of your dad, Carl Peterson. Oh, goodness. Yeah, we don't even need to go down that road. That guy, um, hey, you know what? I, I believe everything happens for a reason. And, uh, you know, it, it was funny, too, because, you know, we obviously had dispute over contract stuff. And it's crazy where the league went from there. And it's funny. Remember, Tony just signed his deal, too, or was about to. And, and you know, he ended up getting out of there, too. But, uh, you know, it's funny because – you know, the battle I had with Carl actually led me to Kansas, or Minnesota, which ended up, you know, I got a double the contract I was trying to get in, uh, in Kansas City because of Dwight Franey. Like, so basically the, the rift I had with Carl delayed every process, allowed Dwight Franey to uh, to set new highs and, and set new um, boundaries for DNs. And so I was able to piggyback off that. So in a good way, in, in a small way, Carl Peterson was a, uh, was a blessing in my life. Well, he was because he was a... Uh piece of shit, and, uh, you know, let's, let's fucking call a spade a spade. I mean, you know what, like, the guy the guy could have signed you for fucking nickels on the dollar and locked you into a long-term contract, and you would have fucking signed it. And that guy was such a moron. And, uh, I mean, dude, he, yeah, I mean, like, I, I just remember being at Tony's Christmas party when he was like, and Tony, I like to refer to him as my son. I was like, this fucking guy. I look at Tony's face, was like... <laughs> Uh, do, do, do I really have to fucking get, let this guy fucking dick slap me like this? I'm like, God damn it. Like, uh. I just remember, remember, when he, remember when he came out uh, for the Mary Royal Rodeo. This dude came out with a leather jacket on. I mean, I grew up on a horse ranch. I grew up with cowboy hats, cowboy boots, and, and wranglers, and, 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 you know, boot cut jeans. Let's just put it that way. This dude came out with, with a 15,000 with a gallon cowboy hat, a leather jacket. <laughs> I think he had I think he had creased Levi's and some No, like, those were like uh fucking designer Italian jeans. <laughs> yeah, they were fucking pegged too, which is even better. Like he was yeah, in fucking like seagulls. Silver tipped cowboy boots and I was just like, This clown and then he started talking to about himself in the third person. Carl Peterson would just like to say welcome to everybody out here and uh uh, my favorite Carl Peterson outfit was when he went triple leather. I don't know if you guys know what triple leather is, but it was pretty cold. So he was wearing his clothes. He had a leather blazer with a leather jacket with a leather overcoat, trench coat on with a fur collar. And he's sitting there, like, talking with us. And, like, I, I think uh, uh, Jordan Black rolls over, and he's like, old Peterson's got triple leather on. I'm like, what's triple leather? He's like, look at his blazer. He's got a blazer, a leather jacket, and a full trench coat of leather. He's like, nobody goes triple leather. Only Carl Peterson goes triple leather. And then Jordan fucking melted away into the into the darkness. Uh, probably, I don't know if you guys know, Jared's a pretty funny dude, but Jordan Black was probably the most insane guy I'd ever met in terms of just off the wall wackiness. Yeah, he was he was he was a goofball. 
But uh, you know what I feel like can pull off triple leather is somebody who is max power cleaning and tr- crushes their trachea. I feel like a guy like that. <laughs> well, well uh, then he does quad leather because he puts the leather pants on. Yeah. Well, uh, here's the here's the deal, Jared. You realize you that you wear a leather in, you wear a leather weight belt. Yeah, uh, in Chicago, that if like you ever needed somebody like to take a bat to somebody for you. Danny's your guy. Like if you called up, you're like, hey Danny, I need you to bring a baseball bat and I don't need you to ask any questions. Danny'd be like, no problem. With or without leather. <laughs> With or without leather. I'll, I'll wear a leather jumpsuit. <laughs> Jerry, you tell me where to be. Bear. The bears. Like, right. bears. Like, I need you to the clock. Ooh, you know what? 748, I got deads. I got deadlifts. <laughs> Dude, it'll be me, Jared <laughs> Allen, and a certain Coach Ditka. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, being an athlete, we're all at a certain level of meatheadedness. And, um, you know, we all actually, you know, have our own different weight room routines and, and, and we put in. But, uh, I mean, Wellborn, we used to just kill Wellborn because this dude, I mean, his Friday routine was like, he just was just lifting heavy as he could be on Fridays and he'd go out and play and uh, never really understood it. I think, I mean, he would vastly enough if we wouldn't have given him that much crap for it. But so it was like a, <laughs> amongst meatheads, Wellborn always stood out as like the biggest meathead just because he was like, he was the only like 315 pound lineman with like lower body fat than receivers. And, uh, and you know, just always in the gym. And, uh, so when he became White Goodman of Global Gym or CrossFit Athlete World, it's been we anybody who knows Wellborn, there's it's a large circle in the NFL, has just been just absolutely dying laughing. We totally understand it. So when the first thing I heard this morning that when Denny said I crushed my trachea power clean, it just I was just like, Yeah, that makes sense. Like that just totally makes sense with with where what are you doing right now? So So Jared, you know, um one of the one of the topics that we talk about on the show <clears throat> is um, guys who who are weight room strong and then guys who are just like field strong. Well, I would um, be in the latter category. I would be in the latter category on that. Okay, so raised on a horse ranch, right, <clears throat> in yeah. California. I mean, you you mentioned you know they can't be afraid of putting in some hard work. I mean. Well, uh, you, do you feel that yours has had that strength from, uh, you know, like a blue collar type of uh, upbringing, or did you have to bust your ass in the weight room to get stronger? No. Uh, so did, did, wait, 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 wait. Uh, let me give a little backstory on this. So, so we were on a couple weeks ago, and we uh, with a guy Mark Ripto who's out of Texas, and Rip and I had always had this conversation. He asked me about it when I first met him years ago. And he said, you know, uh, um, does the weight, you know, when you get to the NFL, does the is the weight room really a factor? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, like, can a guy come into the NFL and build himself up in the weight room? And I, I, I was like, dude, the NFL, like, I got drafted in the fourth round. So did Jared. You know, all the best ones go in the fourth round. But, I mean, they drafted me to start. They drafted Jared to start. So, I mean, there was no, like, hey, we're going to take you in the fourth round, give you a year to train in the weight room in the system and, and get up to speed. Like, that doesn't fucking happen for a fourth-round draft pick. You either come in, you can play. And uh, we, and I'm sure Jared can think of uh, uh, 50 guys that he played with, and I can think of them, and we can just start naming them off left and right, who would who were weight room fucking monsters, but went out and played and couldn't play dead. You know, see the guy on their bench in 500 pounds, and you go out and you hit the dude. And, I mean, Jared probably played against, you know, the majority of 
offensive tackles for the last decade can can give you a list of guys that were fucking look like a million bucks, super strong in the weight room, that fucking couldn't hit for shit and couldn't be able to do anything. So I had this theory, and and we talked about it with Rip, that like there's guys that are weight room strong, and there's guys that are this you know country strong, field strong, fucking cock strong, whatever you want to call. And then there are guys that have a you know have both of it. I mean, Jason Dunn was a great example. Remember how strong JD was yeah. in the weight room? Yeah. And and yet you go out. I mean, you you go out on the field and Jason Dunn would fucking slam you like bam bam. And yeah. uh, you know so and but then there were other guys and I mean fuck I'm 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 sure we could sit and think of them that were super weight room strong. And then there were other guys like Hank Fraley, for example, or, you know, guys that you wouldn't even expect to be strong that couldn't lift dick in the weight room, but yet went out of the field and would crush people. Yeah, I think, and to it, it's, it's relative to what you need as a routine. I mean, as, as, a, as a pro, you have to develop what, what works for you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a leverage and technique guy. I always have been. Uh, my body, since I was in high school, going back to the original question Denny was talking about, um, yeah, I mean, I got some of my natural strength, obviously, from just doing chores around around the ranch. But um, you know, I've never been able to do a lot in the weight room just because you know, you know, my bench my bench has never been my strong suit. I got long arms, and I've, I've been able to squat and clean a lot. For, but you know, my my legs don't hold that kind of mass. I just have long, lean muscles, and I learned at a young age that you know, leverage and technique will take care of a, of a lot. I was laughing with someone the other day, um, one of our young guys in. Uh, in um, uh, in Chicago was was bench. I don't know. Goodness, how many what he had on bench? It was it was way more than I ever dreamed of, and probably you know four something. And uh, you know I was laughing with them. I said, well, you know, good good news is is that I've never met an offensive lineman that weighs that much. So you're good, you know. And uh, but you know guys like Waldborn, I mean, weightlifting was a crucial part of his of his preparation. So whatever it is that your your preparation takes you to play at the level, you have to figure that out. So if it's the weight room, then that's where you need to stay. For me, it's not it's not been that. For me, I work out my in season. I I work out really hard in the off season. Um, you know, really make sure my cardio is right. I've implemented MMA training. Uh, obviously, I know where I need to be at weight room wise. I'm not. I mean, I'm not maxing out anymore. I'm not doing that stuff. I just know where my body needs to be at and what weights I need to be hitting to be ready for the season. Uh, I'm a firm believer that you can't give up on your core lifts. For me, I, I have to squat, you know, clean and bench, you know, and and, and stuff like that. To because otherwise, I think you start getting into these these more functional low low weight stability stuff. You still have to have the muscle mass to to be able to perform. But for me, it's been leverage and technique, and um, I mean, on the field, I'm not, I've never, you know, been out, you know, muscled or anything like that. And, and sometimes, you know, you get these guys that are bulky in the weight room, and they're, they're all stiff on the field and they can't move. So I think it's a, I think Dude, it's a, it's a fine balance. But I think it's a fine balance between, be, between that, and, and it's an individual basis. So as far as, you know, going back to what John said, as far as if, is the weight room crucial anymore? It depends. I mean, you look at. Just the other day, Roberto Garza, who's been playing 15 years, I think 14 years, our, our center, that dude, I watched him squat over 700 pounds, right? But that's his routine. Like, that's what he needs to do to stay healthy. That's what he needs to do to perform. And like I said, I used to watch John put on Friday clinics in the weight room. And that dude just, I mean, he that was John's thing. Friday, he needed to work out. Me, my end season return, Monday, Wednesday, I do a full body workout, and, and that's it. And, um, and Jared, so, Friday was the only day that I actually felt good enough to actually be able to bench heavy. <laughs> so it, it took me an entire week for like my elbows and my hands to stop hurting to be able to bench. But uh, I'll, I'll, 
you really use the weight room at this level to flush, you know, so during the season you're using Monday to flush out from Sunday, you're using Wednesday to continue that, that flush and just try to get your muscles firing and blood circulating and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I believe I believe functional strength is better than raw weight room strength. So I have functional strength for what I do, um, and and I work out in accordance to really to enhance that functional strength. And um, but yeah, so I mean, I've never been a huge you know numbers in the weight room guy. I mean, it's obviously a necessary evil um, because you know obviously it helps on helps against injuries and helps you know stay healthy and obviously power and explosion and all and all the things we've all you know grew up with being athletes you know training for in the weight room. But at some point. You know, being able to bench 500 pounds, if you can't put that into play, if that doesn't transfer over the field, it's all for not for for the for the purpose of what we're trying to get done on the football field. So for me, I would take functional strength, I would take field strength over weight room strength any day. Well, what Jared said was such a hit, dude. Like I was trying to stop it and fucking freeze that point in time. Is uh, my thought is, and dude, I always notice this: the guys that were, and he used the term stiff. And if I were to say to, hey, Jared, that guy's a stiff, he would know exactly what I'm talking about. And if he said, hey, John, that guy's a stiff. And what we knew is that guys that were extremely stiff, usually uh, it's just that. They just can't move. And it doesn't matter how strong you are. And usually guys that are super strong are real stiff. But if you have flexibility and balance, and Jared said technique and leverage, and he starts using all these terms, all of these things allow him to use his God-given gifts to the best of his ability. And you know what? Jared is, uh, you know, uh, Jared's sneaky strong. I would have never uh, like like I would never look at Jared and think, oh, this guy's gonna fucking run me over. This guy's gonna truck me. Uh, but yet all of a sudden you get down in your stance and Jared will take a step and get you off balance. And then all of a sudden fucking put his head into you and drive you back into the quarterback. Um, you know, or you know, and then the next one you go to sit on him, thinking this dude's gonna bull rush me, and all of a sudden he throws you some fucking sweet swim move. So I mean, Jared had a. Uh, an incredible uh, ability to get people off balance and to give you exactly what you don't want to have happen at that right exact moment. And, um, you know, it's just a, you know, it's why he's one of the best to ever played a game. And, you know, I was, I, I remember beating up on him when he was a young kid and I always will fucking take that one away from me and being like, dude, I remember fucking handing this young kid his ass, but thinking to myself, fuck, when this kid gets a little bit older and figures this game out, he is going to be a fucking rock star, and he's been a rock star for the last decade. So, Jared, John's talked in, on some past shows about uh, some welcome to the NFL moments, uh, one of which, one of my favorites was the Junior Seau stories. But uh, do you, what, what's your welcome to the NFL moment? Well, I, I tell all the time. I feel like I've told the story a lot last, lately, too. So I, I'm a firm believer that Willie Rofe is hands down the best offensive tackle to ever play the game. Yeah, yeah, really? that would be a fair this, assumption. Yeah, and this is the day I realized it. John will know because John was on. He was on. You know, he was on the other side. But we were doing. Remember, uh, it was my rookie year, so your first year of the Chiefs too. Remember, we were doing. Uh, we were doing half line. So Vermeil used to have us out. First of all, Vermeil was this in training camp. Yeah, training camp. So Vermeil, yeah, I, I remember this story. Vermeil used to do, have us do. First of all, Vermeil was crazy. I loved the guy to death. That dude had us in three hour practices a day. You know, twice a day. Full pads, and we were in training for a month. Right? So it was, I mean, uh, it was brutal, right? I mean, we had to the point where we had to throw our pads in, in the middle of the uh, train, or in the locker room one year, and Trent Green was like, "We're done." 
We are done. <laughs> the the, the battle know, cry was they can't fire us all. They have yeah, to kill you know, we, the team. We, we would pray for rain. I mean, we, we would have chapel services to pray for rain just so we could get it there. But anyway, so we, we had thunder, lightning. There. And I'm, I'm a rookie, so it's like you don't get the question what's going on. And we used to have this thing in, in camp where we got judged off helmet. Like if you got to, if you could rock someone's helmet back, you got like you got you know coach for me. That was like a stat, right? We we talk about that meetings. So we're doing half line, and I hit Willie Rove as hard as I could up underneath his chin, and I locked him out. Greg Wesley came through the hole and just lit Priest Holmes up, and Vermeil snapped. He out just snapped, and he got so ticked off at the offensive line, and that, uh, and, and that, and that Greg, he's like, nobody touches the ticket, nobody touches the ticket. That's our ticket to the Super Bowl. Nobody touches the ticket. Just yelling at everybody. I think it was Walmart that threw out. Like, hey Tony, what are you, the bus pass now? And uh, <laughs> uh, so it was, it was hilarious, right? And, and but the, the not so funny part is what just happened immediately after. So we had to do it again. So I hit Willie again, which I thought was like perfect. I hit him under his chin. I went to lock him out. Willie picked me up off the ground. This is the time. I mean, I weigh 255 now, but I, back then they wanted me playing at 275, 280. So I was probably like, you know, 275, 278, right around that range. Willie picked me up off the ground. He ran with me for probably three yards, threw me on the ground, and as I'm trying to get up, speared me in the back. And right then there, I knew like, okay, I hit, I gave that dude everything I possibly had, and he treated me like I was just a little boy. And from that moment on, I did everything I could to make sure Willie was like my best friend, and I asked him, quick, hey, Willie, how do I defeat this block? <laughs> but that was my welcome to the NFL moment. That was my, uh, you got a lot to learn. You need to, you need to figure this thing out because this dude just absolutely embarrassed you in front of everybody. Well, it, it, it's always great, too, though, is uh, your welcome to the NFL moment was like one of the probably, and, and Jared's right, man. I mean, Willie is probably the best guy to ever play that position. I mean, dude, my, my welcome to the NFL moment we talked about it was fucking Junior Seau running past me like I was standing still. I mean, Junior was one of the best to ever play the game, so it's always interesting when, like, your welcome to the NFL moment is one of the hands-down best, but, uh, dude, I remember uh, Jared and Willie's battles, and, uh, dude, I remember showing up there the very first day and seeing Willie Rofe, and if you saw him physically, like, just moving around, like, not on the field, you'd be like, dude, look at this old man. He, like, kind of, like, <laughs> one knee was kind of knock-kneed in, and his legs yep. were real skinny, his fucking upper body was real big, and he would just kind of, like, hobble, and he had this weird kind of, like, shuffly walk. And I remember thinking to myself, this old man is broken down. Like, he's, like, 30, was he 32, 33 years old at the time, maybe 34? And he was just... He was was pushing, like, eight or nine years at that point, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was beat to shit. And I remember thinking, there's no fucking way this old man can play. All of a sudden, we go put on our pads, and he goes kind of hobbling out there to practice. We get down in our stances, and, like, that dude got down in the laziest stance. Like, his legs... Like, weren't even bent. Like, his, it was, like, perfectly straight, kind of staggered. He just kind of, like, very gingerly just kind of, like, flopped his hand on the ground. And I'm watching this dude being like, you have to be fucking shitting me. Like, this dude's going to get killed. All of a sudden, the ball snaps. That dude bent his knees and exploded off of the line so fast that I, like, I had to take a double take. I mean, he, like, came off the ball, and he hit a dude and just destroyed him. I was like, because, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, like, wrapped in this idea that 
to be in a good position, you have to start in a good position. Nobody ever goes from a bad position to a good position. You can ask Jared when, you know, yeah. like, when, like when you get off on the line, like if your stance is perfect, you get off, everything's perfect, you're good. Like there's no like lazy stance, bad technique, and then all of a sudden somehow you're going to have some flash of brilliance and get back in a good position. It just doesn't happen. Willie Rofe is the only guy that I ever saw in the NFL that could start in a bad position and within a split second get into the exact good position he needed to be. It was yeah, unfucking believable. Unbelievable. And 300, I mean, he was playing legit 340 probably. Easy. But that dude moved. And I remember talking to him, like, he was like, ah, oh, you know how Willie talked. Oh, coach, you know, yeah, you say, ah, yeah, he, he, he spoke rope. He, yeah, he, he spoke rope. He was saying people looked at him and thought, like, all I got to do is run around him. He's like, and I loved it. That's So then he taught me how to beat him. He taught me how to, you know, inside stabs and how to get your, you know, that front rock, you know, front, you know, leg to stop and how to beat him. And so that kind of translated over. But yeah, we used to have some crazy battles on the offensive defensive lineup there because I had an old coach, uh, you know, guy rest of the soul, he's passed away now, Bob Carmelowitz and Justin. Oh, Bob, Bob Dunn? Yeah. Yeah. Bob passed away a few years back. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. And, uh, and so he just, but what I mean, just a surly old son of a gun. And, um, and, but it taught me so much about technique and, and how to use it. And I, I remember we were doing a one-on-one, and I was going against Wellborn, and uh, and John had beat me the inside punch. And once, once John – John's, you know, his uh, scouting report was just get his hands off you because once John got his hands on you, it was, it was over. Vice grips. And uh, I'll never forget, I came in, and uh, John, I tried to, like, knock John's hands down or something. He he locked me up, and Carm uh, just – I mean, he absolutely just dog-cussed me. So I came back in. I gave John inside. Like, I actually on the, came up off a knee and, and, and get got the score back to what I was. But I mean, those are the kind of battles we had back and forth those days. And uh, man, but yeah, dealing with a guy like so we would always preach technique, 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 and technique beats technique, technique beats technique. Willie Rowe was hands down. The he just didn't. I mean, even his weight room routine didn't make sense. This dude, I used to get there at 7:30 on Monday morning. Willie would walk in. He would lay on the bench, put like 315 on the bar, do it for like eight reps, and then he would lift his head up, just just his head. He would lift his head up and down and punch his abs. And I was like, Willie, what are you doing? Oh, go fire the abs, coach. Go fire the abs. He would do like three sets of that and then leave. <laughs> that was <laughs> but but Jared, you're forgetting too when when he would do it. Like you guys are thinking, he would be like he'd bring the bar down and he would push it up about three fours. He'd be like. Ha, 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 ha. And then fucking put it away, and you'd be like, what the fuck was that? And he'd be like, oh, I just got to stay quick, got to stay quick. Stay fast, stay fast. Got to stay fast, got to fire the abs, coach, I'll never forget. And then one day he left He left OTAs, got in his car, and retired, didn't tell anybody. Well, the story goes, and this was fucking the best, is we went out to go running, and uh, we went to go do our, our conditioning for practice, and Willie had been laid up with the gout. So he was, uh, you know, if you guys know what gout is, it's um, a crystallization of uric acid in the joints. Uh, it usually comes from people that eat way too much fucking sugar and, you know, guys that have some, uh, you know, insulin, uh, lack of insulin uh, sensitivity, high blood sugar, and, you know, kind of it's a precursor for some diabetes. So Willie was laid up, and it's extremely painful, and he had uh, some gout crystals in his toe and was in a lot of pain and hadn't been able to train for a couple weeks and finally got it down, and, and it was feeling pretty good. And so he shows up to go train, and uh, Will Shields and the guys were out there, and I don't know if you know Will. Will was the king of the fucking mind fuck. Will oh. was the type of dude who would tell you he wouldn't work out but actually had been getting up at like 4 a.m. to go to L.A. Fitness to train at 5 a.m. 
and then would like train from like five to six thirty, come home, uh, shower up, and then show up at like seven for practice or for for work, and like be like, no, I don't work out. And was training like five six days a week. Like he was the king of the fucking aeropodope. And so uh, Will's out there, and we're going to go run a little bit. And, you know, Willie was obviously feeling a little down on himself. The guy was kind of hurting him. And so, you know, Willie was always fucking fast, like uh, unbelievably fast. Like that dude, when he wanted to run with the receivers, could run with the receivers. So he goes out there and starts running with Will, and Will was fast too. And Brian Waters is another fast one. Those guys went out there, and they were just smoking Willie, and they were fucking riding him. Like, you like you don't have it all, man. We haven't been training. Brian's been fucking sitting on the couch. I haven't been training. And uh, you don't have it. And fucking they got in Willie's head, and Willie got in the car and drove away, and that was the end of it. I think he saw the writing on the wall and was like, you know what? I can't do it anymore. And you know what? Like, that's what happens in the NFL. Like, guys are phenomenal players. And, like, either just one too many injuries or just something happens, and all of a sudden you go from being able to do it one day to not being able to do it. I mean, I know for me when uh, I was playing in, in New England, I got hurt in that last preseason game, came home and had surgery, and, and as I was rehabbing my knee, I just literally was, when I went out to run and do stuff, I just physically couldn't do it. I was like, 11 years is good, I'm done. And, um, you know, for Willie, probably just felt like, you know what, I put my time in and I'm good, I'm, I'm going to move on, so... Even though, and, and I think, like, mentally you still want to play, but physically you're like, fuck, dude, I just can't get my body to do what it used to do, you know? Well, yeah, and it goes back to, I think, too, you know, you know what it takes to, to play at this level, like you are saying. You know, if he felt, you know, that he couldn't, you know, put in the work they needed to be prepared, you know, Erlacher said it best. I remember uh, listening to his interview when he retired, and he said it wasn't that he couldn't play on Sundays anymore. He just wasn't willing to do the work it takes to play on Sundays anymore. And I think that's where, as, as vets, you know, as you get up in your years, that's what you have to look at. You and um, you know, for me, in going back, you know, to the weight room and stuff like that, is that's where I, I try to, you know, talk with coaches. Like this year, I brought in uh, Chip Smith from out in Atlanta that really helped with my first step explosion. You know, so doing a lot of overspeed training and resistance training as far as um, you know, just running type of stuff goes. So I haven't ran. I've been, you know, I, I quit running about seven years ago, and I've just been training MMA, kickboxing, and jiu-jitsu, and, and that cardio pushes, I mean, is better than anything I can do, you know, running myself. But, you know, as you get older, those those, those fast twitch muscles, you know, I, I was watching film last year, and I'm like, you know, my, my first step wasn't where I wanted, so I brought him in for that, and it's really kind of, you have to start detailing your workouts to your age, and you know we have a we have a great strength coach out in Chicago, and that's what and he talks about too. He, he you know he's like you know, at some point you know you got to start doing short bursts, you know what I mean, like intense bursts of training to to really because the older guys you know you don't want to put that pressure on your body all the time, all the time. And uh, but I think that's where it eventually gets us. It's putting the work in to get to Sunday that gets older that that you lose it and and once you realize that you're not willing to do that you might as well hang it up otherwise you're gonna go out and embarrass yourself on Sunday and um, and so that that's for me it's, it's I know I know going into a year if it's gonna be a solid year or not depending on my offseason workouts I know if I've been mediocre or I know if I've been just you know balls to the walls getting after it and uh, and so. But yeah, it, it's one of those things that every year you have to you have to reevaluate. Okay, because for me, I know I, I'm going to walk away from this thing on top. I'm not going to walk away having people tell me that, uh, you know, heck, I wish you would have left two years ago. <laughs> yeah, like you, like you never want to go out with like like the farm deal where people are like, seriously, just fucking, you know, like go out on top, but it's, go yeah, out it's and, 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 and leave as the person we remember you. 
yeah, you have to be honest with yourself, and you have to know where you're at, and you start dealing with injuries and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, that's where, I mean, that's where you know. Again, it's it's a matter of knowing your routine of of what you have to do, being honest to yourself, and being honest with your routine of where you need to be at in the weight room on the you know for your workouts, and then assessing you know how that how that's translating. You know, like you know, for example, again, I'll go back to John. I mean, that dude had to. He had. He was in the gym on Fridays. He, you know, he worked out hard. That was part of his routine. And and, and fire. I remember he used to say every before every game he he would get ready to go to the stadium and he'd be like, "Well, hope I don't get exposed this week." And I never. And I was like, "What? Like, first of all, who has that kind of thought process, right?" And uh, for for because for me, I'm going out there cocky, like I'm going to expose everybody I possibly can. But John's more is his his way of preparing was okay. Did I do X, Y, and Z to not get exposed? And mine is I'm doing X, Y, and Z to expose somebody. And it's just funny how those thought processes work. But it's all hand in hand. And when and when those when those measurables that you use to know that you're ready for a game day don't don't add up or you can't physically do those, you can't reach those measurables. Then uh, then you have to make honest assessments. And um, you know, fortunately for myself right now, I'm not at that point. And um, but that's but that's that's one way. You know, the weight room plays such a huge role in my offseason. It determines, you know, far in advance how I, you know, how I know how my season. Well, you know, the, uh, uh, like, you know, just along that train of thought, I mean, we played that first playoff game, you remember, in uh, in Indy went with Herm. And this is a, I, dude, I love Jordan to death, but I mean, we're, uh, that was when Willie was, you know, finished and Willie didn't want to play that last pre or uh, that playoff game. And he was basically done and been injured. And they bring in Jordan Black to go play against, uh, you know, Dwight Freeney uh, in the opening round of the playoffs. Wild card in Indy. Uh, and so, you know, all week we prep. I mean, we were kind of fucking with Jordan a little bit in the film. And then I remember Slari, no, it was uh, Matsko was like, yo, man, stop fucking with this kid. You're going to kill his confidence. I mean, because he's watching Freeney on film. And, dude, Freeney is like your worst fucking nightmare. Like when yeah. Freeney was healthy, like those years, like dude, he was he was a bad deal. And leverage, there's a guy who I mean, oh. I do bull rush Jonathan Ogden back like nobody's yeah. business. Yeah, nobody bull rushed Jo. And uh, so we go out there for warm up. We come back in, and you know, like I would always do my little fucking pregame and get in my head and fucking get ready to roll. And as we're getting ready to run out the fucking tunnel, all of a sudden Jordan turns to me and he looks at me, and I like look over at him, and he goes. Uh, Dwight Freeney's just a man, right? I mean, he's just a man. Like, how good could he really be? He's just a man, right? And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the scene from Gladiator when the dude pisses himself and he takes a big step back. I just took a large fucking step away from him. And sure enough, I mean, Freeney went out there and fucking pulled the Fright Night on Jordan. And to the point where all of a sudden I'm playing right tackle and I was handling that little bitch fucking Mathis. All of a sudden, I see Chris Terry, who is my backup, come run on the field. And I'm like, what the fuck are they bringing in my backup for? And I'm like, are you here for me? And he's like, no, they want you to go play tight end. <laughs> so mind you, I'm like, you want me to play tight end? So mind you, I play right tackle. All of a sudden, now I'm playing left tight end, and they're leaving me in. They're like, yeah, we, we don't want you to run out on the pass. We want you to stay in, and uh, we're going to double-team free on that side. So I played left, ta- or left tight end, and help Jordan, and I was like, here's the deal, Jordan. I'm going to fucking go swing for the fences and try to knock this dude out on the very first punch, and all, all you have to do is just sit behind me, and whatever way he goes, jump on him. So I just would literally take a little fucking run step, and as soon as we would square up, I would fucking hit him as hard as I could, and uh, I'd drive, you know, 
catch him, uh, slow him down a second, and Jordan would just pounce on him, and that's what we ended up uh, playing against him until the only bad part was is then all of a sudden, like, the third series in, they they come in and they're like, John, you have to go out on the pass. I'm like, you have to go. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, I mean, you guys wouldn't know this, but I used to cast my hands. So, like Jared talked about, I was a big punch guy, and, like, dude, if I got my hands on you or anywhere near you, I was going to fucking lock you down. Well, I would take, I would wear receiver gloves, and then I would tape um, these little, like, kind of foam pads on my, all over my palms, and then I would cast my hand with a roll of tape. And, uh, Five minutes after I did it, my hands would go numb, and I wouldn't feel my hands, and I would use them like fucking like battering rams, and I would just batter people for three hours. So, mind you, my hands are numb. I don't really have great feeling in them. They're totally casted, covered in tape, and all of a sudden now i got to go fucking run a route. So, let's, just, let's just remember, John doesn't run that well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, not, I mean, straight lines, maybe. I mean, but fucking, he fucking... <laughs> Shucking and jiving and throwing a head flip and then having to fucking turn my body around. I'm like, are you fucking crazy? I'm like, this, this, you know, after playing 10 years in the NFL as an offense alignment, now all of a sudden you're going to fucking send me out on a pass route. So needless to say, I ran my little fucking button or button hook or whatever. I ran my in and out. And uh, they didn't throw me the ball, thank God. But I remember uh, the safety, I think it was Bob Sanders or something, fucking laughing. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, exactly. What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> We were we were struggling. We didn't we didn't get across the fifty yard line until the second half. So. Yeah, they they were looking for anything. I mean, we were pulling like we were pulling out all the stops on that one. Oh yeah, Jared was about to go in and start kicking field goals. Oh goodness, yeah, we got well. That was, was the funniest because we all thought you know what we were seven and nine that year. Or, um, yeah, nine and seven that year, and like three teams had to lose for us to even get in. So everybody had their travel plans already, like. Oh, yeah, we were ready for the offseason. We were all at home. We got caught. Whoa, whoa. Denver, and we were in the playoffs. We're like, oh, crap. Everybody's canceling flights, trying to figure out when. when uh, yeah, like, like three teams had to lose, and the earth had to fall off its axes. <laughs> and it all happened. Oh, yeah, and then we go to fucking Indy in the first round. And, like, uh, dude, if you guys have ever played in Indy, like, it's so fucking loud. Peyton Manning, Preeny, I mean, that turf. I mean, you put those guys out there. I mean, you can't hear a single thing. Like, I always watched the ball anyway, so it wasn't that big a deal for me. But guys that weren't like, you know, especially when you're playing tackle where you're watching the screen. I mean, all of a sudden, you're going off of his move, and he's watching the ball. It just, it's a recipe for bad. <laughs> so, Jared, you were talking about uh, doing, like, the MMA training. <clears throat> If you were a professional MMA fighter, what music would you come out to? What would be your entrance song? Oh goodness, that's uh, that's a tough. There's so many good choices. See, like I'm not, I'm like PC and the Sunshine Band. <laughs> no, no, I'm like low key. Like honestly, I'd probably come out to uh, to you know maybe a little Careless Whispers. Um, Wham. Just pulls out George the George Michael. Michael. George Michael, not Wham, George Michael. Um, but uh, you know what? I'm trying to think. Father figure. It, it all, it all, it just, it just. Preacher, teacher. What mood I'm in? Like I'm always kind of like I always listen to just relaxing music before a game. I'm not into like I'm not listening to like the death metal, like slamming my head against the thing. I'm, I'm I like joking around and having a good time. So. Uh, you know, maybe a little, uh, maybe a little Hank Jr. You know, anything from Garth Brooks I could play. Rodeo, that's one of my favorite songs. So that, that Garth Brooks Rodeo, that's always a good, uh, good one to get going to. 
Um, so yeah, it would be, it'd be something probably mellow that no one really expected. You know, maybe a little uh, Eddie Grant, Electric Avenue. Why not? That gets wow. Eddie <laughs> Money, Two Great Tickets song. to Paradise. Done right there. You remember when? Remember when? Uh, when Eddie Money sang at our uh, at our game of the national anthem? Yeah, he did look so good. Awesome. So yeah, those are like my best memories of like the the national anthem performers. Hank Jr. did it one time. Eddie Money it was great. God, I don't think if I can ever remember a single national anthem in the NFL. <laughs> I have a stupid good memory about that kind of dumb stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know what? It's, it's probably from all the hits to the head, but it seems like all the games have melted into one with just these flashes of certain moments. <laughs> You know, which ones do you remember? Do you remember your bad moments or your good moments? Uh, I remember all the bad ones. Yeah, bad ones are way way easier to remember. Yeah, I, I can tell you all the bad plays, all the fuck ups, and uh, all the good ones just kind of melted into one. So like, I have to like periodically remember some of the good stuff. So I'm always like, <laughs> John, I'm get a kick. I fucking sucked. John, I get a kick out of this. So uh, John, John had just come back. It was our last year together in Kansas City. And we were playing St. Louis. I can't remember if it was preseason or uh, a regular season or something. But um, we get we got out there, and, and I remember that week you were like, you, they didn't even know if you were going to play that week or not. You, <laughs> and all of a sudden, someone got hurt or someone wasn't doing well. Literally, little, remember this? Yeah. Yeah. So John goes out there, and um, he goes out. The next thing you know, he gets out, he, like gets in the stance. We're in St. Louis. Boom! Little little comes out. I don't remember he got a sack or whatever, but he, he beat John around the head. It was like three plays. The job was back out. I was like, I was like, what happened? He goes, wasn't quite ready today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't supposed to play that game. Yeah, I know, but it was just so funny because you're like, John, go in there. You're like, what? I'm not even supposed to be playing. And he, it's like, John, get back out. Okay, I'm, I'm not quite ready yet. <laughs> yeah, you gotta warm up a little bit, you know. You can't stand around all that time. Oh, uh, we came out the greatest part is you came out the field. He was completely laughing about. It. He's like, "Jerry Crickets." I'm like, "What happened?" He's like, "What do you mean, what happened?" <laughs> 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 the they throw me in the block and there's a little one on one. What do you think is gonna happen? That's fucking preseason. <laughs> fucking preseason, the biggest fucking fun. joke in the NFL. Yeah, it really is. They need to cut that down. Oh, well, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just stupid. I mean, I, I understand the idea. It's trying to get the young guys developed and all that, but it's like as a veteran, you're just like, yo, man, I just need to get through this shit. You know, yeah, you know I think they, they, they cut it down to two and, um, and use it for what it is, is preparation for the season. You know, um, you know, we all know that going training camp is more of a formality now anyways. You know, it's, I mean, you really, if you're not in shape, you have OTAs and you have mini camps, you have all these off-season programs, and, you know, all you do is reinstall everything. That's yeah. way You're not even reinstall. Dude, that's my yeah. favorite, being like, oh, it's an install meeting. I'm like, really? Are we going to reinstall and install what we've done the fucking last 10 years? Yeah, and it's so, you know, and if you're not in shape, you're going to be out, and, and, and majority of teams know what 80%, 90% of the roster is. So, I mean, you could really evaluate off two preseason games and, and get going, and, and you know, you, you guys would use that for what it is, and you know, it's just hard to, you know, explain. You got fans paying full ticket price. You, you're paying the the players, maybe it's, I don't know, twelve, thirteen hundred bucks a, you know, a game now. You know, so everybody's on making the same wage there. And then, you know, you want them to sell it out in that game, which doesn't matter. And if they get hurt there, you're not going to play the season. So um, they they need to re, they need to rethink the format. And, and I think if they cut it down and 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 allowed. You know that, and I'm not saying add more preseason or regular season games. But I mean, 16 is hard enough. But uh, 
But yeah, I mean, it could it could definitely I think be used better to where the vets would would actually take more advantage of the preseason games. You know, half the time I think we only play in two of them anyways. And um, I saw I've been playing the last few years. I play a little bit in the second one, and and then about a half in the third, and then I'm out the fourth. So, um, you know, they 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 could use them. They could make it a better quality of football for the fans and let the vets, uh, you know, really and, and and the rookies really get what they need out of them. Jared, have you seen uh, an evolution kind of in the sports since they got rid of those three-hour, two-a-day practices, full pads to now lighter? No, you know, again, I, I'd say it's it's a different it's a different sport, first of all, and you know, people say, you know, you hear guys talking all the time that oh, you're not you're not getting the collisions, you're not getting this kind of stuff, and guys are getting more hurt and this, that, and the other. It's not true. I mean, last year I was in full pads every single day. We could be in full pads up until week 14. That's just what our coach thought, you know. Yeah, but it's not it's not fucking Dickie Vermeil. No, it's not, but you gotta remember, I mean, look back on what Dick Vermeil did though. With Coach Vermeil, this is why I think we all we all love him so much. He would push you to your breaking point and then he would throw you a huge bone. So the problem is now you really take away, I think, you know, what coach is trying to use every mandatory pad and when you say it's mandatory two days. I mean, I look back at Childress and, you know, we really weren't in full pads that often. I feel like we were in full pads more this year or the last training camp the last couple of training camps than I was when there was no rule because then you gave Coach A, you know, a determination. But Dickie V, yeah, I mean, he would kill us, but then he would come up, call us up, and be like, I don't want to see you guys for two days, you know? So there was a give and take there to where you knew, for me, it would push you to your breaking point and then take care of you. And so you were willing to push yourself through whatever wall he put up because you knew on the other side of the wall he was going to take care of you versus now where it's kind of regimented. I think you, the coaches lose some of that because it's just, well, you're going to take away my authority to say when and where we go full pads. So we're going to go full pads every chance we get. And now you just got guys that are like, all right, I'm just going to try to make it through that. But, you know, again, football is a year-round sport now. I mean, training camp is kind of obsolete in my, in my opinion. I mean, I think you could go, you know, a week of, of so-called, they're not even double days, right? One of the days you could go right into in-season program routine because, you know, through OTAs, mini camps, and now training camp, you have your whole – your, your install is there. You know, you're going to cut down, and, and each week, it's, you know, John, you know, each week it's different anyway. We're going to install new stuff every week, how it is. So, in my opinion, it's, it's, you know, I wouldn't say there's an evolution of the game or so to speak. I wouldn't say it's hurting it by any means. I just think it's not necessary just because of where the game's at. And, uh, and you know, back in the day when everybody was banging every single day, you enter, the, you enter on, a, on an even playing field, and now you got coaches – you know, really monitoring this stuff. They're using like they're using crazy, you know, science and all this stuff to monitor freshness and readiness and 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 and, and coaches are now, you know, really determining how to get guys to be fresh in um, for Sundays. And so a lot of the a lot of the old school way of thinking is going out the window and uh, you know, they'll hit it hard a couple of days, back it off and, and, and they're really trying to put you know science behind it and uh, and it's pretty cool. So I, I think soon you're gonna see training camp kind of you know, fade out of the sunset, and there's really going to be no need for it. Well, you know what? I'd, I'd like to believe that if uh, we didn't have to do some of those Dickie B baton death marches, I mean, <laughs> I remember, uh, you know, Tony called me up and being like, dude, if, uh, he goes, man, if we had had this schedule earlier in, in, in our careers, he goes, dude, everybody would have played fucking 15 years. He goes, man, yeah. he goes, just the amount of, I mean, the amount of time and the amount of hitting and practice, I mean, dude, that yeah, we put in just in you know, dude, when I was in Philly as a rookie, we had a buy in preseason. <laughs> dude, 
We were in training camp 42 days. That's oh, fucking yeah. six weeks. Every single day of double days, and we were in double days fucking pad because that was Andy Reid's first year, dude. We had yeah. a buy-in fucking preseason, dude. It was absolutely insanity. And, like, you know what? Like, I think it's better now. They should take care of the players. I mean, but I'll tell you this. Uh, as an offensive lineman, I think the reason where a lot of guys really struggle, at least in the last couple of years since they really changed it, is an offensive lineman. The only way you learn your craft is by banging out. It's 907, one-on-one, all those padded practices and just being yeah, able yeah, to have five, repetition. Nine on sevens becoming obsolete. I mean, think about it. Who, who where, what, what team runs a power football game anymore? You know what I mean? I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't yeah, seen old school Marty Ball for for years. Everything's these leads and stretches and slashes and play action off and, and trying to get this spread. And um, yeah, but dude, don't don't tell me the fucking nine on seven when they're fucking because you know there was always like the uh, I, I forget who he is. Um, who who is the dude the the little ball guy the little uh, blonde haired dude in Kansas City uh that shop shop remember shop would be like nine on seven and he'd yeah. scream and start running and then we'd all fucking take off sprinting because we no I don't say obviously I mean that's that's stuff I remember it's stuff I still like I think you know and 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 unfortunately what I'm saying I think if you're saying that like, I personally think the the offensive line play isn't what it's you know as as it used to be. Um, because now you're forcing offensive linemen not to be as aggressive. You know, majority of what O lines do now is pass set. A lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of that pounded out three yards in a cloud of dust mentality now has come to that short little, you know, passing game, and, uh, and a lot of one back systems. I mean, think about the full. I don't even know how many teams carry a fullback anymore. You know, sure. And um, and so I think you know what happens is is you go back from we used to play like you said the Willies and. And you guys and, and that, that offense line in Kansas City, I mean, you guys were so good because your first you feared what you guys were coming off the ball. So you Dude, that was uh that there was, yeah, there was gonna be a run play and you had to defend that, you defend that, you defend that, which then allowed, you know, I remember Willie Willie or Rofe was so hard to, to pass rush against because his first step was a yeah. cutoff step, so you didn't know it was like, is this run? Is it play action? What the hell? <laughs> you know, unless, I mean, no, no, he, he fucking jumped everything. I, I've met people uh, that actually uh, a couple times have told me that they view that offensive line that we had in Kansas City as the best one to ever play. I, 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 would, I would agree with that. Honestly, I would look at that. I mean, I mean, obviously, you're gonna the the, the wall down in Dallas back in the day will, will challenge that. Um, but I mean, you look across that line with with Rofe, Waters, Wigman, Willie, and you. I mean. That was, I mean, think about it. I mean, think how many thousand yard rushers they would produce. Even our backups were having thousand yard, you know, rushing years. You know, um, Priest, Larry, Blaylock. You know, I mean, that was that was a that was a crazy, crazy, crazy good offensive line. And I credit a lot of a lot of my success with having play against that. Yeah, T. Rich, Tony, J. Dunn. T. Rich, yeah. Jason Dunn, did hands down, is is in my opinion. You know, a dying breed. I mean, there was a guy that it was, and that was an oh. offensive tackle playing tight end, and, and oh. freaking, oh, yeah, dude. dude I, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Jason Dunn uh, played with me in Philly, and then went to Kansas City and was there when I got there. JD's like six six, like two hundred eighty five pounds, uh, maybe two ninety. Um, didn't train, was fucking totally jacked, and would go in the weight room and like. Didn't matter what you put on the bar for what it was, JD was going to lift it. You're like, oh, there's 500 pounds in there, no problem. Okay, uh, just keep adding weight. JD was so fucking cock strong, it was disgusting. And then played. He was our our uh, you know the, the tight end opposite Tony. He would come off the ball and absolutely 
annihilate fucking people. My favor was lining up in my stance with JD next to me when we would run our little outside zone play because I knew JD was going to lock this dude, and all I had to do was come in on his uh, on his side, on his hip, and fucking just push him off, take this dude, and we would just truck people. Uh, yeah, it was like it was like playing next to an offensive tackle. I mean, he was that fucking he was so big and strong. And then you got Tony on the other side, and Tony could fucking block his ass off. So I mean, yeah, Tony, had, Tony Tony got gypped in his blocking abilities. Tony, uh, you know, again, there, there's a guy that. You know, who wasn't going to overpower you, but again, through p- position and technique, Tony was going to be in the right spot and figure out a way to get that job done. Yeah, he's a pretty good player. Yeah, he, yeah. he did all right for himself. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. So uh, do you think that there is a power athlete uh, a field trip involved with going and seeing Jerry play? I have not seen an NFL game since I retired, but I would go to Chicago just to see Jared play. Yeah, come on out. We, uh, we'll take care of you out there. Yeah, I, I will come out, and I know the guys will fucking Denny's over there right now, like, punching himself in the throat. He's so excited. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, this will be, you know, like a guy from Chicago, because Luke's from Chicago, so these guys are Bears fans, and uh, the fact that he, we went to the Bears, or Luke calls me, he's like, Jared's going to the Bears. He's like, he's like, you think we could go to a game? I'm like, I'm pretty sure that Jared would be cool with that. Yeah, we're definitely we we have a good team, honestly. I mean, I you know playing against that offense is one of the reasons why I went there, man. That offense is so tough to defend against. Brandon Marshall is a man amongst boys out there, or I should say, men um, in the NFL because I mean that dude, he's just so strong as wide receiver. It's so hard to cover him. And then Alshon and and then that offensive line of ours has got a lot better um, than it was a few years back with Bushrod and you know guards and everybody and Kyle Long and. Uh, and then, you know, what they've done on the defensive side, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with. We have a great mix of, of youth and, uh, and experience. And, uh, and I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm excited for this year. I mean, we have a, we have a good, good team. And uh, watching these guys work right now, I mean, it, it is, it's impressive. And, you know, I've been in a lot of locker rooms. And so, you know, you kind of get a feel for, you know, you know how guys are going to react and, and learn. And, and But, you know, Coach T, trust me, his, his, his whole philosophy is really cool. You know, it's built on relationships and it's built that – you know, it's, it was refreshing to go into a locker room and, and, and go into a meeting and hear a coach, like, speak the truth, you know. He's like, instead of giving you this, oh, we're going to be the best and we're going to be the standard bearer, we're going to win, you know, Super Bowl or bound, you know. And he goes in and tells, hey, listen, everybody's saying the same crap right now, right? Everybody's talking about winning championships. How we're going to be different. Everybody's going to work hard. Everybody's going to say this. He's like, we're going to build relationships. And in tough times, in tough situations in the game, having a relationship with that guy next to you is what's going to make you fight harder and what's going to make you fight that. So it's a cool philosophy that they have. And um, like I said, we got a good team. So you guys should come out and, uh, and witness this. It's going to be a good year. Yeah, no, we're, we're in. I know Kate was excited. As I was leaving this morning, she's like, uh, uh, you know, she was telling little girls because um, uh, my daughter's like, Dad, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I got to go talk to uh, – uh, to Uncle Jared on the phone, and uh, you know, because we we watch the games, and uh, my daughters love watching football, and it's always hysterical. Like whenever uh, anybody comes on, they're always like Uncle Tony, Uncle Jared. So you'll have to bring them out. I, I know they absolutely. Yes, I gotta meet. I gotta meet the fam and the uh, my young ones, and I'll have my daughter and I'll have my my second one be here in August. So we're uh, congratulations, call, dude. Let me call for advice on how to handle two girls. Oh, it's a lot of tears. A lot of tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I do. P- people ask me, and I'm like, I think having like one is is different. Whereas like you have two, and they kind of feed off of each other. So like we've had some tantrums the last like couple weeks, and 
I have this one picture of my daughter. She was just like laying face down on the ground, like hands and feet, like kicking the ground, like kind of like a cartoon almost. And I got a picture of it. And I'm like, this is my life. I'm like, awesome. You know, you, uh, all my buddies, my agent, saying he's like, you guys, he's like, you need to be surrounded by women to uh, to really make you realize. You know what? It really puts things in perspective. Well, you got to be the only news round. Because oh, well, can, can you imagine if Elmore had a boy and there was another John Wellborn out there, there was another just, I mean, the kid would be doing push-ups at two. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. I, my, my wife is still of the mindset. She's like, you know, I'd still like to have another one. And I'm like, no, I don't think I can do it. He's like, well, what if we have a boy? I'm like, if you could guarantee me that, uh, I would be a little more susceptible. But I know I God would be I don't know if I want a boy. I'd have to put up with a me. <laughs> oh. My daughter's stubborn enough. Two girls, I think I can, you know, I think I got enough testosterone to, to I can use a little more estrogen in my life. Oh, God. Well, like the, uh, the one thing that I've always uh, tell my wife, I'm like, I got enough tattoos. And, you know, Jared, the same deal. We got enough bad tattoos. Whereas our daughters will be like, tattoos are totally not cool, and they won't get them. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, so my wife, I'm like, I got all these tattoos, so our daughters wouldn't get them. I mean, they're not going to get them. <laughs> like, there's no tramp stamps in their future. No, no. They'll, they'll be, if there is, they'll be sandpapered off. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait till boys come over for dates, guys. Oh. I, have, I live in the great state of Arizona where we don't have gun laws. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, the, the other one too is ho- hopefully by that time we'll have like born to kill tattooed on my neck, and, the, and, the, and like the like the the boys will come over and be like, "Was your dad in prison?" You're like, "No, he played in the NFL for ten years, and he's fucking crazy." Yeah, uh, feels like prison sometimes, but doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's a bunch of black dudes and a few white guys and big uh, showers. Speaking of showers, uh, any comment on um, the first openly gay player being drafted into the NFL? No, you know what? I, I again, I I think you know my, when I when I look at it, I just uh, you know obviously teach their own, and, and, I, and I'm sure you know like you Jared, said, we played we played with many gay players. Yeah, I was gonna say, statistically, there's there's yeah. been gay people. Uh, we can probably if we sat here, you and I could easily think of one in yeah. particular that we and played so, with. And so for me, I I think the the if if, if I was in the locker room, the the thing that we always talk about in the locker room is is outside distractions. And you know we, we I mean every every year a coach gives a gives a speech about outside distractions and and what you do off the field is you know to constantly think like a pro act like a pro be a champion this and that and the other and and so at some point you know it has to be, I mean football has to be football and that and that's where it has to get to and so the only the only real thing I can see that that might become an issue is that you know so many guys are gonna have to ask ask questions answer questions about you know this kid's personal life, that that's going to be a distraction for, for what's trying to get done on the football field. And, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, that, that's something that, that everybody has to deal with in their own, in their own way. The locker room is a cool place because it's a, it's a melting pot of people and nothing's off limits. And that's how a bunch of alpha males, you know, kind of coexist and, and everybody pushes each other's boundaries. So you know where they're at and makes fun of each other. And, and all that good stuff, and that's how that camaraderie is built, and that's how. And, and outside people will never understand how an NFL locker room works, and um, and and so you know each each locker room is going to deal with it differently, and and each person is going to deal with it differently, and and all I say is at the same time is if people have to respect you know everybody's views and, and viewpoints, you know um, 
the other side has to respect those too, you know. Um, so you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a, I agree. You know, everybody needs to be tolerant. Everybody needs to to treat people with respect. But on the other end of that, people have to be tolerant of other people's views that might be uncomfortable with that. And and those those situations just need to be addressed. And and, and people need to, to work them out as grown men. And um, and and both sides need to understand everybody's point of view and, and move forward with that. And let football, you know, be the, the be the topic of discussion. And you know, and and that's I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. Is at some point. You know, people are going to get tired of answering questions, non-football related questions, and and that you know, I'm curious to see how that gets how that gets dealt with. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, cool guys. Anything else? No. Uh, it looks like we covered everything. Luke, do we have any questions from the live audience at all? Uh, no, nothing. Just a couple comments. Nothing. No questions for yep. Jared directly. Uh, well, I, got a, I got a quick question if uh, if we got time. Sure. This uh, this this is for Jared and John. I mean, y'all played ten years. Jared, you're going on eleventh. You've seen a lot of rookies come in. Is there like a a sense about a kid that you get it? This guy's going to be good. Uh, they say it's a crapshoot. Have you been pretty right intuitively with these young guys when they come in? Um. Yeah. You know what? You know what? I judge people. I don't judge people until I see them play on game day. You know. A lot of people look good in their shorts and T-shirts, and they fall apart in training camp. Some guys look great in training camp, and they fall apart when uh, when game day comes. Um, so I, I try to take take it for what it is. And uh, you can usually – what I look for in a guy is his work ethic and his willingness to learn. Um, for me, that that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, I remember when, uh, when Harry came in to Minnesota, our safety, and, I mean, he – I mean, you could just tell he had a, he, he he wasn't you know he just went to work he just worked waited his time to be the starter and obviously he was a first round pick he was gonna be a starter and and he came in and and you know he was he was you could tell that he was gonna be good and uh, you know you you can see that with guys and you can see the approach they take in meetings whether they're whiny you know I look at a guy if you're a rookie go in there shut your mouth take your notes and 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 when I was a rookie. I found the vet of my position, and I picked his brain on every little thing. I made Eric Hicks be my best friend. He probably got so annoyed with me at times. We ended up becoming great friends out of it. And then on the other side of it, like I said earlier, I picked Willie Rosebrand. I talked to John. I became friends with the offensive guys because they're going to tell me how they block me. You know, and then Eric's going to tell me the, the, the nuances that I need to learn from, you know, on the field stuff that's going to happen at, at faster speeds. So that's the kind of what I look at. And then, you know, I've been able to. You can usually get a pretty good feel on a guy by training camp if he's just if he's just a guy or if he's going to be something special. Well, you know the um, the one that always struck me is uh, you know like Jared, I never judge kids day one. I used to wait until about three or four weeks into training camp when nobody wants to be there to start judging people. Yeah, like, I actually fed off of their misery. My favorite thing to do was. <laughs> Walk into the locker room, and if I could see those young guys, and it looked like somebody shit on them, they're all like, mm, all whiny, whiny. Like that fucking misery is what fucking fueled my tank. I was like, oh, this is where it gets good. The young guys fucking don't want to be here. This is fucking way different than college. They don't fucking. They've been away from home. It's just, you know, you've been in fucking yeah, double days. It sucks. It's just you're in these shitholes, and you know what? That's what fed on. And you know, those are the days when actually. Uh, Towards the end, when things would get fucking hairy like that, and these guys would get real nervous, is when I would turn it up on them, and that's when I would start fucking really hammering on these kids. And the ones that would respond, and the kids that were 
or the young guys that would fucking answer the bell, dude, those are the kids I knew would make it. Uh, it was the kids who were, like Jared said, that were whiny and didn't want to be there and injuries and didn't want to work. I knew where the fucking bus. And, yeah, and uh, the guys you try to weed out, and that's where that alpha yeah. male mentality comes in. And you see those guys, and you say, okay, you know yeah. what? And 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 unfortunately, it ends up getting a good practice out of us because as vets know, we, do, oh. we try to leave nothing at practice. We try to give all of our good stuff on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my you know, I mean, Jared makes a great comment too with the alpha male stuff. I mean, you know, there's two ways. You can either walk in and just fucking straight up hump them from behind like a dog. You can piss on them. Or you can just go out there, and when somebody's having the worst fucking day and they don't want to be there, just going out there and humiliating them is pretty much the best way to uh, to establish that you're the alpha. Because and, you know, you know what, like you're trying, you're trying to, you really are. I mean, it, it sounds brutal. Again, that's why I say people never understand the, the the football locker room and the mentality that goes through the team building. But when I when I go out there, I don't. I want to. You know, when I when we're in week 15 and we're fighting for for a division title, I want to know the guy next to me is fighting like a dog too. You know, there's nothing worse than watching a guy you know who doesn't deserve to be there get a time off from practice or get you know you know just you just there's this there's just this respect level and and you have to earn it and you have to go through these things to earn it and and you know it's our job you know as, as much as it is for coaches to to make cuts and do that kind of stuff that the players. The, the players know, and and it's and at least back in the day, like you said, if, if there was there was certain ways we knew. I mean, fight would start on the field just to see who would start, who would fight, and yeah. by, by that we would judge who. Okay, this guy's good. Now this guy might be in our circle. We're gonna try to t- we're gonna try to remove these guys. We're gonna try to make them look so bad on film that they get cut. And um, yeah, I remember when we we, we scrimmaged Minnesota, and, <laughs> and we had fight after fight after fight. And we and so basically, I mean, the young guys were scrimmaging. It was nighttime, and a fight started. And I just cold cocked this dude. I started a fight. A huge brawl broke out. Vermeil kicked me out of <laughs> kicked me out of the scrimmage. Right, yelling at me, blah 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 blah. And Dante Hall came over to me and he's like, "You know what? I'll play with you any any day, any day." And and you and that's how you did. You were, you got the respect of the guys because it was it was a dog days of camp. Nobody wanted to be there. But, you know, I had to establish I wasn't going to take crap from anybody. I'm going to hold my ground. I'm going to fight. I'm going to continue to get better. And I would battle with Willie Rove, battle with Willie Rove. And, um, you know, to the point where Vermeil called the team up out of practice. It was like, as long as I'm in the league, Jared Allen will have a job. And and so, you know, those are the moments that, that you look for in guys and, and guys that make you feel that way. And uh, and, and, if, and if a guy, if we, if we all – you know, if you, if you, it's like a shark. You smell blood in the water, you're going to attack, and, and we, we try to weed out the weaker links. So you get a very good perception of how guys are going to act and how guys are going to be mentally, and, um, and and then you try to push them to that point to, to make sure that they're that they're going to be there and be, be accountable down the line. Bears. <laughs> bears. Oh, it right there. The Bears. Thicka. Uh, now, now that Tony's retired, Jared Allen is the uh, power athletes uh, NFL player. You are actually, uh, yeah, the power athlete nation's number yeah. primary player. So it was, it, it's, it's been you and Tony, and now that Tony's uh, fucking retired, it's like you're the Highlander. There can only be yeah. one. So, Karen the torch. Uh, yeah, Karen dude. Few more years. <laughs> yeah, there's fucking thirty thousand of the power athlete nation deep that are fucking rooting for Jared Allen. Uh, well, I appreciate it. It's been fun being on and catching up, dude. Yeah, dude, I'll, I'll hit you up, man. Best of luck. Thank All you. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks Thank a lot, Jared. Jared. Right. Thank you. Thanks, Jared.